This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide episode 388. Thank you for listening, glad you can join us once again and welcome you first time listeners. We hope you stick around and become regular listeners. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of that great website techguide.com.au. On this week's show, the Motorola Razr release has been pushed back due to production delays. We'll tell you what happened. Why eSIMs could be a game changer for prepaid mobile carriers and are you addicted to your smartphone? Take our test to find out. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the Sunto 7 Sport smartwatch. HTC releases its latest VR headsets. And we'll tell you when you can bring Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker home on 4K and the special features that will be included. And we'll answer your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. It's a big day if you were expecting to receive the Motorola Razr for those customers who had pre-ordered the device. It was due on Monday, Feb 24, which is today. That's the day I'm recording. And unfortunately, those customers who would have woke up with a spring in their step to, you know, in anticipation of receiving the new Motorola Razr, the foldable flip phone, well, they got a message of another kind to say that unfortunately the release of the product has been delayed for several weeks. Now, the reason Motorola gave in a statement is all due to the disruption caused by the coronavirus. Their statement reads, The situation in China is inevitably impacting the launch and highly anticipated availability of the Motorola Razr. By far, most of our factories in China have reopened and are now operational again, albeit on limited basis due to health quarantine restrictions and public transportation and travel limitations. So uh, the, they say the remaining factories located in the Hubei region will open in line with the policies of the respective regional governments where they're located. We are leveraging the full strength of our global manufacturing and distribution networks and anticipate the Razor will be on shelf in Australia by mid to end March. Uh, I looked at the JB Hi-Fi website, which is a retail partner of Motorola, and it says that on the website that the device will be released on March 17, and it says due to production delays. So whether that, that is the actual date or whether that's a flexible date, we'll find out. That to me sounds March 17 is mid-March, although their statement is also saying potentially end of March. So I don't know whether Motorola just giving themselves a little bit of a leeway there. The sooner the better, obviously. A lot of customers are eager to get their hands on it, as am I. I can't get a review device because they want need to review the retail version of the phone. There are pre There are already versions floating around that have... Uh, pre-release software, they don't want me to review that because it's not the full experience that an Australian customer would get. So I can understand that they want me to get uh, the latest version that Australian customers will receive so that I can give you my full review based on the device if you decide that you would buy here in Australia. So uh, I can understand them uh, asking for that. But the delay, I think, is uh, may hurt Motorola in the long run because what it does, it actually puts the launch of the Razer now after the launch of the Galaxy S20 smartphones. And I know they're not folding phones. The, the Galaxy Z Flip is not due for release for at least a couple of months. But this delay could steal potential customers away from Motorola 
after this razor delay. So uh, I think there may be customers who they see these these bright uh, S20 devices, and I've just received the S20 Ultra for my review. My review will be uh, in on Tech Guide next week, uh, in time for the release, which is March six. And uh, I've got to say, uh, a lot of customers are going to think, well, you know what, this is here, this is now. They may decide to get a Samsung instead of the the uh, quite expensive Motorola Razr. The Motorola Razr is going to retail for $2,699. Samsung has already said that its Galaxy Z Flip will be cheaper. They haven't said by how much. I'm anticipating it'll be probably around $2,199, $2,200, which makes it... $400 cheaper than or $500 cheaper than the Razer so if I was Samsung I would absolutely try to get it in under $2,000 because uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen but they're saying what I'm hearing is that it's not going to be too much more expensive than $2,000 it be low $2,000 but anyway the Motorola Razer unfortunately uh, has been hit with a delay I was hoping that we'd be getting some feedback from customers their initial impressions it's already out in the US by the way and it that release in the US was also delayed but not because of the coronavirus but it was delayed because the US uh, pre-orders were way bigger than Motorola expected so that's kind of a good problem to have have it was only delayed I think by about a week so uh, not as long as the delay we're going to get here. The delay that we could, we're potentially looking at here is up to a month or, or more, maybe five weeks, if it goes to the end of March. We will soon find out. The more news we find, the sooner we will send it across to you and you'll hear about it here on the podcast. The device itself, we have done a, a hands-on look at the product. There's a short video that we posted on our YouTube channel. It's also on our story on Tech Guide, And uh, you can see for yourself how the device looks, how it operates. It's a throwback to the classic Razer that was in the early 2000s. I'm sure plenty of you listening right now had the Razer, the flip phone, back in the day before iPhone and all the other smartphones came out, of course. But this is a a throwback to that nostalgic old device And I think they're relying on that nostalgia that's going to drive sales. You want to find out more about that delay and check out some images in our video, you can do that at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. We were in the offices of Boost Mobile late last week and we were there chatting with Peter Adderton, who's the very outspoken founder of Boost Mobile. I love it when he uh, has his little gatherings because he really speaks his mind and, and gives us a real unfiltered view of the mobile industry. Uh, we were there chatting about Boost Mobile's 20th anniversary. Can you believe it? They were founded 20 years ago. 20 years ago was the year 2000. Does that make you feel old or what? 20 years ago in 2000, Boost Mobile was founded here in Australia. It was also taken over to the US two years later where it also found a great support. Uh, was eventually bought out by Sprint, I believe. So Sprint now owns the Boost Mobile brand. More than 9 million customers worldwide. So they're doing pretty well. Peter Adderton, doing pretty good. But we sat down with him to chat about a few things and a couple of issues uh, that caught my eye, or caught my ear, I should say, that we were talking about. And I did press him on a couple of things, uh, uh, his opinion on various things. The first one was 5G. I'm going to get to eSIMs later. There's some really cool things coming on eSIM. But he really had some interesting things to say about 5G and how he's in no hurry to offer this to Boost Mobile customers because his, his, this is what he says, it makes no difference in their lives at the moment. It, it's not like it's a massive change from 3G to 4G. When he said, when 3G turned into 4G, the biggest thing that we got with that, that change was the killer app for 4G was being able to watch video on the move. Video was the thing that really was a game changer for the networks. And it, it allowed, you, you'll probably notice that Facebook had a lot more videos, YouTube went, went to another level, so we were watching more on the move. 4G made that possible. So his argument is that 5G is really, videos aren't going to be faster. It's the same kind of thing. He's wondering what, what it's going to be, what's the benefit. The benefit of 5G will be in other areas, according to him. But if for a mobile customer, it just means they're going to get stuff faster. 
and, and at the moment it comes at a premium. He says uh, if you were to buy a 5G phone now, it does it. They are quite expensive, and the benefit you're going to get over 4G just isn't really there at the moment. He, he emphasised at the moment. I think once the network rolls out a bit further. We will see some benefits like 5G offers not just speed, but also latency is another benefit. In other words, the reaction time between one end of the network to the other is almost instant. So you can, but it really does open up a lot of things, uh, makes 5G a possible connection for, for the future autonomous cars and smart drones and all these smart devices that will be out in the world in all these smart cities. But at the moment, Peter Adderton, not a big fan. But what he is a big fan of are e-sims now if you don't know what an e-sim is e-sim is like a virtual sim in your car it's like a chip inside the phone that you can imprint with your sim card information now if you own one of the latest iphones you've got an e-sim at your disposal and what what how they've set it up iphone and also the new samsung s20 range is coming out next week as well the there's a one there's one physical sim card and the second, the dual SIM devices, right? So one physical SIM card and the other is an eSIM. So what that means is that you ring up uh, and or you go to a website and want to transfer, you say, your Vodafone SIM card. You want to make that, you want to imprint the, you want to in, in get the eSIM with your SIM card information. All you need to do, they'll send you a barcode that you'll scan and then your SIM card information is imprinted on the chip, on the eSIM chip in the phone. So instead of having to put in a little bit of plastic, that information is imprinted on that chip using through that QR code or whatever code, the, the barcode, which has all your information. So imagine then the potential for operators like Boost Mobile for prepaid customers, uh, tourists, he he um, he really explained an amazing scenario where he said, "Imagine arriving into a new country. Imagine American tourists landing in Australia and being able to flip open to the travel magazine that's in their seat pocket and being able to choose an Australian prepaid network or a plan just by scanning a barcode in the magazine. So before they've even got out of the plane." They've already chosen a mobile network for their stay in Australia and they don't need to queue up at the airport uh, because they've got their device, which has an eSIM, has already been imprinted. Uh, they've probably paid for the plan on the, on the device and boom, they're ready to go. So he's saying that the move to eSIM is a game changer and the future of, of the network of mobile, the mobile industry will be the dynamic eSIM. Uh, so imagine how easy it would be, rather than having to line up, pay for a physical SIM card to pop into your device, the eSIM could be a game changer. So uh, always, a, always a pleasure chatting to Peter Adderton from Boost Mobile. Congrats to Boost Mobile for 20 years in the market. They're, uh, they're doing pretty well. Uh, a lot of companies have gone by the wayside in that 20 years, but they're still punching above their weight pretty well. They're very, they're, what they, they describe themselves as a youth-focused brand. So they're all about sort of young and, and getting out and doing things and they sponsor supercars and all these events and concerts and uh, they, they, they've been that brand that, that they say a young brand and for, for people who are young at heart, which kind of covers everybody. Boost Mobile, 9 million customers worldwide. They resell the Telstra 4G network, by the way. So they're what they call an MVNO, which is a mobile virtual network operator. So they resell Telstra's 4G network. They won't be reselling Telstra's 5G network anytime soon, based on what he said. But you know what? In a few years, his tune might change. If you want to read more about that story, read all his quotes. There's so many more quotes in that story. <laughs> he's, he's very quotable. You can check out uh, that story about eSIMs and 5G and all that stuff about Boost Mobile at techguide.com.au. Now, I know the first two segments of this show have been about smartphones and eSIMs and the Motorola Razr, uh, but I'm going to ask you the question, are you addicted to your smartphone? We've all got a smartphone. The number of people who have a smartphone, there are 2.7 billion 
smartphone users worldwide. And that number, would you believe, is expected to triple by 2023. So in three years' time, there could potentially be 7 billion smartphone users in the world. That's a lot. We've all got a smartphone. Uh, we, we've, they're in our hands all the time. Uh, whether you're a young kid, a parent, a senior, a professional. But the big question is, are you addicted to your smartphone? This is a question we've asked on Tech Guide today. We've set out a series of questions, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, and depending on your answers to these questions, there's no right or wrong answer. There's no, it's just, there's just your answer. Uh, and you, know, you can do this. If there's someone else that you want to bring in on this conversation, on this podcast, maybe bring in a partner or a friend so you can maybe do it together. Uh, I will start it in a moment. But addiction is something we, we all know what addiction is. According to the dictionary, the definition is the need or strong desire to do or have something on a very strong or a very strong liking for something. So we can be addicted to gambling. We can be, there's, there's even sex addicts out there, would you believe? Uh, we could be addicted to heroin, or so t- tobacco, all these different substances we could be addicted to. And we can also be addicted to using our smartphone. So smartphones, yes, they're an indispensable part of our lives today. And if, if you've ever not had your phone, maybe left it behind, you, I don't know, there was no, you didn't have it for a number of hours. How did you feel? That wouldn't have been easy to to survive without your phone. A lot of people have described feeling anxious and paranoid, even naked, without their smartphone. And actually, over the weekend, the weekend just gone by, there was the International Smartphone Addiction Awareness Day, which is uh, the Mood Off Day. Uh, now in its eighth year, by the way, and that asks people from countries around the world to switch off their phones for five hours. Do you reckon you could do that? Five hours without your phone. I could do it. A lot of people answering that question would say, yeah, five hours from <laughs> from midnight to 5 a.m. is when they're asleep is probably when they could do it the best. I'm talking five hours when you're awake, okay? No, none of this uh, having it off, uh, t- turning your phone off while you're asleep, although I do that. I, I don't have my phone on or even in my room, my bedroom, when I'm sleeping. It's in another room. It's in my office. I never take my phone into the bedroom uh, when I'm sleeping. I've got another – I know a lot of people say, oh, I use it for my alarm. Buy an alarm clock. They're, they're $20. I've just got a, I've got a uh, Lenovo a little, uh, little smart speaker, smart screen next to my bed, and that's my alarm. I sometimes use a smart watch as my – alarm as well. My Apple Watch I use as, as my alarm too. Uh, so no phones next to the bed there. But anyway, getting back to this issue of smartphone addiction. There's a lot of people who have a phone and on average a smartphone user checks their phone. Is it? Am I describing you now? They check their phone more than 60 times per day. Now 87% check their phone right until they get to go to bed. And 69% check their phone within five minutes of waking up. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty much, that, that's obsessed there, if you're having to check it within five minutes of waking up. But it's not only something we do at home before we go to bed and when we wake up, but also in public. So we've developed this habit in public as well, where we've got to the point where we're ignoring the people we're with to check our email or check social media um, 86% admit that they check their phones even when they're with their friends and family. And don't get me started on the distraction for drivers as well, that they can't get their hands off their phones. If you're texting while you're driving, you'll have zero sympathy from me. You deserve every fine under the sun. Now with these mobile cameras that can detect if you're touching your phone, I hope you get caught because not only can you kill yourself, you can kill innocent people as well. Don't touch your bloody phone in the car. You're a moron if you do. Okay, so there is, there's a point to being addicted to your phone if you're at dinner, but there's a, if you touch it in your car, there could have fatal consequences. So keep that in mind. Now, why, do we, why are we looking at our phones a lot? There's the old FOMO, I think, the fear of missing out. Um, do you, is, this just, is this you? You're at dinner with your partner and you're both on your phones? Are you talking to each other? Are you at the dinner table with your family? Uh, are you... Do you have kids who have phones? I think it's a great opportunity if you've got children to teach them the etiquette 
of good mobile phone usage. I think using your phone and ignoring the person you're with, I think that's really rude. I wouldn't do that to someone uh, unless I've got something really important that I have to send an email. But normally if I've got a meeting with someone, they've got my attention. I'm there with them. I'm not I'm not looking at my phone. It's just in my pocket. It's out of the way. If I get a call and I've got to answer it, I excuse myself and take the call. But I'm not there just, just ignoring them. Um, so... Yeah, that, that's, another, that's another part of this as well. Now, are you ready to take these tests? So here's a little exam for you, a tech guide exam, to work out whether you are actually, if you do actually have a smartphone addiction. Are you ready? Are you doing this on your own? Are you doing this maybe in the car, live with other people in the car, with your partner? I recommend you do it together, okay? Get yourselves together. Press pause if you have to to come back, but here we go. Question number one. Do you have your phone in your hands most of the day? So if you literally can't get your device out of your hand, if you can't let go of it, I think you may have a problem. Question number two, do you get anxious when you're away from your phone? Do you, are you looking for it? Or can you put it down and walk away from it? Question number three, do you lose time without realising it? Do you get so deep into looking through Instagram and your emails and everything else that you realise you've been on your phone for an hour and not really and not realise you've spent that significant amount of time looking at it? Question number four, does your phone battery run out before the end of the day? This is a clear sign, if it does, if the answer to that's yes, this is a clear sign that you use your phone too much during the day. Now, a lot of people will say to me, oh, the bloody iPhone battery is terrible. Run, ran out at 4 o'clock. Well, I've got news for you. If you're using your phone all the time and you're on it all the time, the battery's going to run out. It's going to run out faster. So uh, another thing, another sim sign to look out for. Okay, what are we up to? Question number five. Are you on your phone in social situations? If you are at an event, at a party, are you looking at your phone rather than enjoying the company of the people you're actually with. I've seen that a lot, and is that does that describe you? Okay, question number, what are we up to? One, two, three, four, five, six. Question number six, do you check your phone as soon as you wake up? If you need your phone before your morning coffee, then you may have problems. Question number seven, have you ever thought you felt your phone vibrating in your pocket? Have you ever heard they had that phantom feeling that, oh, hang on, I'm getting a call or I'm getting a message? If you do, if you have had those phantom vibrations, then I think it's your, your, your feel, I think it's your brain's way of telling you that you're anxious about your phone. Last question, are you using your phone even while eating? Or watching TV. Now, if you, I don't know what sort of TV shows you watch, and I think that uh, it's not uncommon, I've got to say, for a lot of people to watch TV and maybe grab their phone in the commercial break. Yeah, that's not too bad. But are you actually using your phone while you're watching your program or while you're eating? You, you, do you have to have your phone in your hand so that pre- it prevents you from enjoying what you're watching or the food you're eating? Now, these are only just a few questions that can be asked about this. There are many more, but I think they, they're kind of the best ones to get a handle on whether you have may have a smartphone addiction. A lot of people, uh, we say that you the best way of getting around a problem is admitting you, admitting you have one. And look, if, if, this, if using your phone is disrupting parts of your life, if it's, if it's you know, pissing people off in, in your life, your family, your partner, kids... Uh, I think that you might need to look at it. So what do you do? If, if, you've, if you've answered yes to most of those questions, I think you just really need to be more conscious of your behaviour. You really need to see how you're affecting the people around you, your family, your friends, your kids, as I mentioned. Now, I said also earlier, if you're a parent and your kids are old enough to have a phone, then it's a great opportunity for you to teach them healthy habits, the proper screen time and, and you know dinner devices away at the dinner table, things like that. And, and of course, if you are doing that, if you are teaching your kids, you've also got to lead by example there as well. So you can't tell them one thing and then go and do the other. Go and do the opposite. you really got to live by that, lead by example. But I use my smartphone a lot 
And if you want, to, if you're wondering, I answered no to half of those questions. Uh, I told you earlier, I don't have my phone near me in the bedroom. I, I, I talk to people in social situations rather than looking on my phone. Uh, I, I don't check my phone as soon as I wake up. I don't have those phantom vibration feelings. I don't use my phone while I'm eating or watching TV. Uh, I, I do. I don't have my hand phone in my hand most of the day. I normally have it on my desk or in my bag or in my pocket. It's not in my hands a lot. I drive. I drive a fair bit, so it's not. I'm not touching it there either. I don't lose a lot of time without realizing it. And my phone battery lasts a day and a half. So I'm definitely not addicted, even though I'm a I'm a tech writer. I'm a tech journo. Uh, I know when to put it down. I know when to let go of it. And I think I think a lot of people, if they realize that there's an issue here, they may realize that as well. If you want to read more about that story and show those questions to someone else in your life, feel free to check them out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. Uh, they are the company that can protect you and your friends and family and devices when you're online. Now, we live in a world where we're constantly connected. Uh, there are cyber attacks and phishing scams and all kinds of ransomware. They're more prevalent than ever. So if these th- cyber threats have evolved, then we need to evolve too, which is exactly what Norton has done with its latest software. The new Norton 360 gives you next-level protection. It combines the power of device security with a secure VPN to help keep you and your family safe and private online. Now, the new Norton 360 offers all-in-one protection for your devices and your online privacy. It's available now at leading retailers or au.norton.com. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. In our Tech Guide reviews today, we are kicking off with the Sunto 7 smartwatch slash sportwatch. Because you know what? It's a bit of both. It's a very impressive combination of both a smartwatch and a sportwatch. Now, I think in the market, a lot of people, they have to make a decision whether they're after a smartwatch or a a sport watch. Now, if you're a, a marathon runner, professional triathlete, or a really high-end athlete who needs to constantly be training, then I'd say right now you'd probably be better off with a dedicated sport watch because that's kind of the biggest use for you. But if you're the sort of user who wants to have that connectivity with their phone, they want their notifications, they want to be able to pay for things with their watch, they want to be able to control their audio with their watch, and they do the occasional gym session, they go for a run every day, they do, they're pretty active, uh, they, they like, you like a hike maybe in, 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 the, in, the, in the bushland, in the Blue Mountains, whatever you, wherever you happen to go, you maybe do some martial arts, all kinds of things, you like a swim, then the Sunto 7 has got you covered. So it is a really impressive combination, as I said. Uh, really does have it, it takes from two baskets there, both the smart side and the sport side. The Sunto Seven is really a sleek looking device too. It looks like a watch. That that's one good big tick for it there. It's got a round face, nice big beautiful bright OLED display as well. So really easy to read it even outdoors. Uh, it's not too thick. It's fifteen point three millimeters. Uh, it's got uses twenty four millimeter bands. Weighs just seventy grams. Not too bulky. No bulkier than a regular sport watch that you would use. I think, though, um, it only comes in one size, so maybe uh, female customers might feel it slightly big for them to wear. There are some lovely designs, I've got to say. There's all different kinds of colours and different watch bands and bezels as well that uh, are very attractive. And you know what? I I think that a a trend, I was talking to my wife about this the other day, a trend among women lately is to wear a big watch. That's become a bit of a fashion trend where a big watch actually is what they're after. So... This could play right into those hands as well if you're one of those people who wants to make a fashion statement with a slightly bigger watch. The Sunto might do it for you. Now, the Suntos come from the fitness side of things and delivers, obviously, great sports features and tracking abilities. And if you're a really active user, you're going to be really happy. There are more than 70 different kinds of exercise and activities that you can track from, you know, obviously running, walking, cycling, to hiking, swimming, weight training, martial arts, you name it. Uh, won't detect if you're on a run or a walk though. If you if you've gone off on a walk or a run and forgotten to trigger trigger the tracking, then 
um, you're going to miss out. It's not going to say, oh, listen, you look like you're on a run. Do you want to track it? It won't tell you that, unfortunately. You've got to, you've got to be aware at the start to press to, to slide it over to the start so it can track your exercise. Uh, and, of course, it, it tracks your distance, time, average speed, maximum speed, calories burned, steps, average and maximum heart rates, the highest point you've reached, your ascent, your descent, the lowest point, your average pace. And, of course, you can even see a graph of your heart rate zones and a graph of your altitude. That's how cool it is. But what, one of my favourite features, I've got to say, there's a lot of information you can work with. The, the, the Sunto Companion app also gives you a nice way to look at your data as well. But one really cool feature is the mapping. And there's built-in GPS and there is offline maps, which means there are preloaded maps on this thing. So if you went for a run, for example, or a hike or something without your phone, it'll still be able to show you on a map where you are. Because it's got all the online maps, all it needs is a GPS, which is built in, and it'll show you on the map where you are. Because the maps are built in, it's not bringing that in from the internet, it's already in the watch. The offline maps are a game changer here. Uh, and the other part of the map I like, there is, a, there is a version, you can choose different versions of the map. I particularly like the heat maps that are available. And what they're, why they're heat maps is because they show you the popular runs and hikes that other Sunto users have done. So if you were in a new city, for example, and you wanted to see a nice w where people run, the, the paths and the routes that they run, you can check out the heat map and then decide, okay, I'm going to go around to do this way where the heat map is. Alternatively, if you're on a bushwalk, for example, you can check where all the nice hiking trails are located. And if you happen to get lost, you maybe go off the trail and you're trying to find your way back, you can use that same heat map to help you. It could potentially be uh, uh, to rescue you if you've, uh, you've got lost in the woods there. Uh, so really cool there. But of course, it's not just about sport and activities and all of that thing. It's also a smartwatch, remember? So it is it is really capable device. It's running the Wear, Wear OS. That's W-E-R-E-A-R-O-S, which is owned by Google. So you get Google Assistant, Google Pay, if you want to pay for your stuff. And also, uh, if you want to have extra activity tracking with Google Fit. Uh, so that that's handy to have that on your wrist there. And of course, gives you notifications from your smartphone, uh, any notification that comes to your phone can be sent to your wrist. Now, it can tell you about calls coming in, but you need to answer it on your phone. You can read messages, even even send short replies if you have to, like pre-filled -pre out replies um, uh, from your wrist as well. Now, a couple of little things that, that I reckon could be improved, and these aren't deal breakers by any stretch of the imagination. One thing is there aren't enough watch faces. There's only five watch faces on this uh, on the device, would have been great to have a wider selection. I know you can go through the Google Play Store and, and pay to get others, and it just would have been good to have a, a lot more to start with. They're all pretty samey. They look, there's a lot of, there's one digital display, there's others with hands and everything, and they're basically the same design, just with different colours and, 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 uh, and little features. The, the complications are the same. I reckon they need to lift their watch face game, give us some alternatives, give us some bigger writing on the screen too, like looking down at the battery percentage and the date. If you, uh, it's quite small, so if you if you normally need reading glasses, it's going to be really hard to read this thing during during uh, without your glasses on. The complications aren't really aren't really big enough. I think they could be bigger. So when I was in the US last week or a couple of weeks ago, I set one of my complications to be Sydney time. But it was so small, I had to really squint and had to get my reading glasses on and to have check it out uh, to see it properly, uh, which isn't ideal if you're out and about. I think it could be improved there. Uh, the other thing too, and this is a really simple thing, it's not really a big deal, but when you turn, twist your wrist to look at the time, it just could be a fraction of a second fast. Like you're looking at your wrist and like half a second passes before the time appears. Um, with the Apple Watch Series 5, that's why it had always on display because the second you you twist your wrist, it goes to full display. Even when it's in the, the always on display, you can still see the make out the time uh, because you don't have to twist your wrist into a position. You, you may you may be you know holding a bag or something. You can look down at your wrist and see the time. 
not so with the Sunto. You've got to actually twist your wrist for to see the time. There were a couple of occasions where the time didn't even appear. We had to do the wrist twist all over again. Uh, again, not a deal breaker, but it would have been lovely to have that little uh, little touch, a little bit faster to for the time to appear. Hope Sunto's listening. They may be able to improve that on an update. Now, the big question, of course, you're asking, I can hear you asking this question, what about the battery life? Now, two-day battery life is what I got out of this, and that's even with like a walk or a run in the morning. Uh, if, you're, if you're really heavy on your exercise, if you're doing a lot of workouts, long training session, I don't know, you're training for a marathon or something, you might run for four hours one day, um, it might smash your battery a little bit because the more it uses GPS, uh, it does say that in GPS mode, battery life is about 12 hours, which is a day. Uh, if you're not using much GPS, then the battery life easily for me lasted for two full days. Uh, and that was with like a walk or a run in the morning. I even walked the dogs in the afternoon um, and tracked that as well. So that worked That worked out okay. But if you're heavily into your training and smashing GPS, uh, you may see the battery life suffer a little bit. But you know what? Overall, really pleased. I'm very impressed with the battery life. The Sunto 7 Watch, it's available now. It's priced at $799. And if you want to read our complete review, you are more than welcome to do that at techguide.com.au. HTC has just launched its new Cosmos VR headset range, uh, and these are really impressive. HTC, they don't sell phones in Australia anymore, but boy, are they hitting it out of the park with their VR headsets. The Vive Cosmos, the, these are PC-based VR systems that have been released. Then this new range, there's the Cosmos Elite, the Cosmos XR, and the Cosmos Play, all feature really good video and audio quality. Build quality is brilliant as well. But what I like about the system is that those three models are basically the same core product. And they have the same um, viewing display inside. So the same display, resolution of 2880 by 1700. So really nice pixel resolution, which is actually 88% better over the original than the original Vive, would you believe? So we've come a long way. Uh, the onboard LCD panels also reduce the distance between pixels, so you're not getting that screen door wire effect on it. So it's really sharp images. So they all have the same display quality. What they don't have and what's adaptable and modular are the face plates. The face plates add features, add more tracking. One faceplate may have an extra couple of cameras. Uh, the others may have other, more, even more cameras to for even better tracking and, and greater distance. The, the, the top of the line version, the Elite, which is $1,699, also comes with two controllers and two tracking stations, well, two external base stations to make the experience even better. Now, the, the, the faceplate from the Cosmos Elite can be purchased separately later this year as a standalone accessory. It's $349, and if you've got a Vive Cosmos or a Vive Cosmos Play, you can add that to the system to upgrade it. So you might want to enter the Cosmos Play. They haven't given a price. I reckon it'll be about 1000 bucks. But as you get deeper into the VR game uh, and the VR world, you can pay for that upgrade, and then suddenly your Vive uh, headset is has improved a lot more because of the purchase of the improved faceplate, which has uh, better external tracking cameras. The Vive Cosmos, uh, which is the middle product, is $1,299. That adds additional tracking height and inside-out tracking as well. It has six onboard cameras. And again, you can upgrade that with, with the, the 349 faceplate as well. So you can see where it's going here. You can either pay to get it all straight away or you can start at the entry level and then move up with the external faceplates. Now, VR, there's a really interesting journey going on here with VR. VR headsets are really developing and these headsets, they still need to be connected to a PC, of course. So they really need a powerful PC to give you that experience. But what we see happening, what HTC also envisages here, is that that PC is going to disappear in the years to come, and it's going to be virtualized in the cloud. And what's going to deliver it in the years to come is 5G. So you can imagine having this amazing VR experience, powerful and impressive and the same quality as you would receive if connected to a high-end PC, 
but all coming to you wirelessly over the 5G network. That's really going to open things up. That's going to really make added use cases for VR in, in the community and in industry and entertainment and you name it. So it's not just about games. There are already places where you can use VR uh, to, to buy a car, for example. BMW have a system where you can use their VR headset to spec up the interior of your BMW. So you can choose colours of your leather and all the different upgrades, and it's your sitting in the car. So if you choose a certain colour of, of your seats or your, your console and everything you can see what it would look like, like you're sitting in the car. That's just one example just of a retail use. Uh, I've even heard of the possibility in the near future of surgeons remotely performing surgeries using VR. So you, you can just imagine how that's going to work. And with 5G and that latency we spoke about earlier, instant decisions will also translate at the other end as well. I wouldn't want to be operated on via VR, but uh, in the years to come, who knows, it's going to probably be really accurate, but I don't want to be the first. I'd rather my doctor be in the room. But anyway, that's put, but it's possible. In industry as well, we're seeing things where uh, there, there may be uh, like a jet engine that has to be rebuilt, and you can be wearing a VR headset with instructions on everything that you need to do. Uh, there's even, I've heard of firefighter training systems where you're wearing a VR headset, you've got the controllers so that it's like you're handling the hose and all the equipment and it's even giving you real feedback on the pressure, the water pressure and it's like you're in the situation and it's all being delivered through VR. And that's not to mention other use cases like if you're in a museum or a gallery, all these places where VR can be used. So really exciting times I think ahead for for the Vive and VR in general. It's not. It's all about gaming at the moment. So I, I know VR isn't just meant for you to play zombie games and all these shooting games. While it's really enjoyable and a lot of fun and, and, and popular at the moment, the, the future is bigger than that. I think VR, obviously gamers... They're, they're the they're the natural first first uh, first customers early adopters because they uh, they'd adopt this technology to have that experience. But I think down the track we're going to see a lot more coming out of the VR virtual reality world. If you want to read more about the HTC range and see all those prices, the Vive Cosmos range, check it out techguide.com.au. The Rise of Skywalker will be coming home on 4K for fans on April 1. It's not an April Fool's Day joke. It's happening. 4K is when they're going to release Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker on physical media. But it will be available on digital on March 18, which is a couple of weeks earlier. Whether that's 4K or not, they have not specified. It will be at least high definition. I'm anticipating it will be 4K. I'll probably buy that as well. But the Blu-ray and 4K will be uh, out on April 1. Uh, this is a film directed by J.J. Abrams. It's the last of the Skywalker saga, the last of the nine films, all wrapped up here. Uh, it made more than a billion dollars at the box office and wrapped up that nine-part story that kicked off in 1977 with the original Star Wars film. And apparently there's going to be a a mozza load, a huge extra features on board as well, including a feature-length documentary that charts the making of the film. They also break down a few scenes like the Pasana Pursuit. Uh, they also see how they created the desert scenes. They introduce uh, the uh, Dio, which is the, the, the new droid in the film, and uh, they explore how the ship that connects Rey to the mystery of her missing parents... There's also a really cool feature with Warwick Davis, who played Wicket as, a, as an 11-year-old in Return of the Jedi. He gets his Ewok costume on again, and this time is joined by his son Harrison. So it gives a nice little insight, nice little bookend to uh, their Ewok careers there. One thing they haven't listed in the extra features, and uh, I'm surprised by this, there are no, there is no chapter or no mention of of deleted scenes. Now, if you're like me and you heard a lot of rumours about there being this JJ cut of the movie that was apparently three hours long that was uh, supposed to have all these extra scenes in it and sort of made the film made a little, a little bit more sense and 
flowed a bit better. Apparently, if, if the rumours are true and the reports are true, Disney said, nah, you've got to cut that down. We need more sessions during the day to make more money. So they, at the last minute, shaved it back to its current length. I think it's two hours and 28 minutes or 22 minutes. I'm not sure, but it's less than two and a half hours. So, yeah, it'd be lovely to see these deleted scenes. I'm, I'm for, I, for one, thought that it would be the first thing they include. So at least that the fans could get a chance to see what might have been on the screen. Now, Star Wars fans will be pleased to know, though, just as we're getting 4K uh, Rise of Skywalker on April 1, the eight other Star Wars films and Rogue One will also be released individually on 4K. Great news for the very first time. So imagine the original trilogy. Wouldn't it be great if there was an extra feature to say, watch the original theatrical release? Include that. I've got that on a DVD, actually. That's pretty rare. I've got the DVD version of the special edition, which also has on its other disc, the second disc, the original theatrical version. Uh, That's really hard to find. I've got the original theatrical versions on VHS a few times as well. But uh, that's a bit, bit hard to watch nowadays. But the other thing I'm hearing too, and there are uh, around the world all these different versions being offered, including this massive box set, the Skywalker Saga, 27-disc box set, which will include the Blu-ray and 4K versions of all nine films. I will be at JB Hi-Fi at 8.50am waiting for the door to open to buy that if Disney Australia will confirm it. They sent out the information today about the release, had no mention of the box set. So the good thing about 4K is that it is region free, which means that if I'm if I'm in America, and I think Best Buy, there's a picture of, of, of my story, Best Buy are going to have this saga uh, that will confirm one of the people, one of the stores that's going to have it. I will absolutely pre-order that and ship it to Australia. If I'm in America, I'll go and buy that and bring it home because 4K, as I said, is region free. So you'll be able to watch all these different versions back here in Australia. April 1, no, it's not April Fool's Day. It's the day Rise of Skywalker comes home on 4K and Blu-ray. But if you want it earlier on digital, March 18 is the date there as well. You want to read more about that story and see those different packaging? Uh, I've got the Aussie packaging on there and see those other American packaging, I think, in the the box set. Can't wait for that. Uh, You can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Now, we upgrade our phones and our TVs and our laptops, but you know what? You can upgrade your Wi-Fi as well, and you can do that with Wi-Fi 6. We watch a lot of streaming and use our wireless networks to for high performance. If you have Wi-Fi 6, it'll give your streaming the VIP treatment. Wi-Fi 6 routers give you really fast speeds, Wider coverage, even up to four times capacity compared to today's Wi-Fi, which means you can connect more devices and stream simultaneously without impacting speed and reliability. The devices of today and tomorrow demand more, so give them more with Wi-Fi 6. It's the biggest revolution in Wi-Fi ever, and you can be one of the first to have it with the next-generation Wi-Fi 6 technology with a Netgear Nighthawk router. Turn your Wi-Fi up to 6 with a Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router. Go check it out today, netgear.com slash Wi-Fi 6. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number 6. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you, as it is every week, by Belkin. Our good mates at Belkin, they sell uh, a lot of chargers and cables. We're actually going to talk about wireless charging. In fact, we're going to kick it off with wireless charging. Belkin sell a lot of wireless chargers. And I've had questions from people asking, is it safe? Which one do I buy? There's a lot. Of, there's actually a page on the Belkin website that explains what wireless charging is. Now, Qi Charging, that's spelled Q-I, that's the standard of Wi-Fi wireless charging. So you can, it's normally like a mat or a little stand. You can rest your phone against it and you're getting a wireless charge. Now, a lot of different devices have different charging capacities. There are also a lot of different charging pads you can buy. Belkin's website actually explains this really well. For example, a 5-watt charging pad will charge your smartphone just as quickly as a 5-watt wall charger. Really simple your phone may be capable of 10-watt charging. So check the specs of your phone, whether it's an iPhone, a Samsung, all these other devices that have wireless charging. You can check whether your phone may be capable of 20-watt 
wireless charging. So you'd buy a 20-watt wireless charging pad. Uh, so if you had a 5-watt charging pad, it'll charge your phone, just not as quickly as it's possible to charge your phone. Uh, I had a question from a reader asking about safety. Uh, there are many, many safety features built in. It is a new technology. It is safe. There's a certification you need to look for when purchasing wireless charging pads uh, and safety while powering up. So safety comes not only from the charging pad, but also from the device itself. So uh, Between the two, it's a pretty safe experience. But it is coming. There's a lot of people, a lot of phones that are now wireless charging capable and uh, a good thing to get in on if you want to. Another question I keep getting asked is home phones on the NBN. Yes, you can um, get the home phone only on the NBN. But the other questions I've had is that a lot of customers are saying their phone lines don't work anymore now they've got the NBN. Uh, with, with the NBN and your home phone, your phone now connects to the modem or your, your box, whether it's a, a separate box to your modem. That's where your phone connects. So the, the, the plug in your wall, forget that. It needs to connect, whether it's an older phone you were using connected to the wall, which is like what I had. I've got a Uniden phone here. Uh, it, it now is connected to my modem, uh, which now which then provides that home phone service. So uh, a lot of people, they may, it might be that simple. Just plug your, new, your old phone into your modem. Uh, that's going to get you the connection. The uh, home phone on NBN, popular question. Wireless charging, also popular too, uh, and it is only getting bigger and bigger. And that's a wrap on Tech Guide episode 388. Uh, everything we've spoken about, of course, you can find at our website, techguide.com.au, and get in touch. You might be on the help desk next week. You never know. Send us an email, info at techguide.com.au, or head to the website, and on the right-hand side, you'll see my picture with the Belkin logo. Click on that, and that'll open up a form where you can send me an email direct to my inbox, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I want to give a special thanks also to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. We love the people, uh, support the sponsors who support us. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.